Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I've been here for six to eight years, somewhere between one and a hundred, and my life's been transformed. And I remember looking at so many people here, like um, Gladdy and all the elders and people on leadership here and Roy and Patty, and just, I would let their life it didn't convict me, I'd let it actually be a source of condemnation. Because I'd look and they'd talk about freedom or they'd talk about whatever they were walking through. And I had a choice, I kind of had a fork in the road by the way they lived life. And I I let it, you can either choose condemnation or you can let it convict you and challenge you. And and so I I went through that process where I I would just see it and and I knew it was possible in my brain and I was like, well, I'm, I'm watching your life so I know it's possible. But then when I would get alone, like I, I w- it would bring condemnation and it wouldn't bring, Father, if you're doing it for them, you'll do it for me. And so it, um, I know Curtis talked about this. It, it says in Corinthians that when you compare yourself among yourself, it's actually ignorance. So when you compare your life and you, you make Roy the standard or Patty the standard, it's actually ignorance. But if you compare Christ in them, the hope of glory, it becomes a prophetic declaration of where you're headed. So there, there's people in my life that I look at where they're at in different areas, and it's these little landmarks that I know, like I'm headed that way. And so I know we, we preach the straight gospel here, and it, it confronts lives, it confronts lies. It, it did it in my life. And so I wanna encourage you, let it convict you. It says that the Lord's not a fa- uh, doesn't show favorites. So what he does for one person, he's going to do for another. So every single victory, every single breakthrough, every marriage that's been restored, every prodigal that's come home, every addiction that's been broken, grab that and say, Lord, you did it for them, and I know you're going to do it for me. And let it be a source of of conviction and an anchor of God. Like, I've seen it. Like, you can read it in the Word, and you can read it on black and white words, but when a life lives it out, it's something different. Like, you can read the words, and it's powerful, but when you see a life living the Word, let it convict you and let it challenge you. And that's, that's what it's done. That's what this house has done. That's why I'm so thankful to be here. Like, we preach the gospel, and we've watched um, so many marriages restored and I, I woke up this morning feeling like if your marriage is going through something, I promise it's not the end. We've, we've had marriages where people have walked out and said, I'm done. And now they're sitting in this room fully restored, having a marriage they did not think was possible. I, it is not the end. I promise. Get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, do whatever you have to do in me. And may I become everything that you paid for. And I promise the Lord wants to just infuse hope into marriages today. It's not the end. I feel like someone needs to hear that, that this is not the end. It's possible to live the marriage that you know is possible. And it just starts with getting alone with him and saying, Lord, do it in my life. Awesome. Well, close in prayer. That's all I got. <laughs> I was kidding. So I actually want to preach on a Jonah today. And Jonah is one of those books, if I'm being honest, I probably hadn't read in five years, if not longer. It's like this long. Has anybody read Jonah recently? Wow, spiritual. 
I know Steve Keys probably reads the whole Bible every week. Uh, he, he, he does walk through the Bible. I think it's sprint through the Bible. Um, but Jonah, I was just praying a couple weeks ago, like, Lord, what do you have? And Jonah kept coming up. I was like, Jonah? And then my daughter, four-year-old daughter, came home and was like, Dad, I just learned about Jonah. And then um, we were, had a little Bible app, read through the Bible in a year. Opened it up, Jonah. Watch, uh, jumped on, watched a video. The guy said, hey, I want to talk about Jonah today. I was like, ah, oh, I do hear God. It just takes him about 12 times to confirm something. But Jonah, Jonah's one of those weird, weird books. Prophets, Old Testament prophets are strange humans. And some New Testament ones are really weird too. But um, yeah, and I do want to say hey to Ringe. Um, I know you guys are watching. Um, love you guys. I got to go up there one time. I love that place. It's a beautiful place. Um, for all you Finnish people up there, I have a secret life goal that one day I will become a full Finn. <laughs> my, my last name is Pearson, so we're not there yet. But I got blonde hair, blue eyes. My kids have blonde hair, blue eyes. I used to do construction. I drive a truck. Like, <laughs> I can say God's peace. Like, we're there. So one day you'll accept me into your fold. Um, but anyways, uh, Jonah, so... I'm going to read um, Jonah 1, 1 through 3. And so it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled up to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's one of those words that you're like, how do you say that one? I, I actually Googled it. It's Tarshish. Yeah, that's a weird one. Sounds like a store my uncle shops at in East Tennessee. Um, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, and he found his ship headed to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the word of the Lord came to him and said, hey, I want, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach that their wickedness has come up against me or come up to me. I want you to cry out to them that if they don't repent, their city is going to burn. Jonah said, nope. And he actually, so from where he was to Nineveh was about a 500-mile journey, which is basically here to Disney World. And where he went was here all the way to Las Vegas, which is 2,500 miles. So in, in that time, it's, it's modern-day Spain or Portugal. And so all the way from um, Judah, where they were, all the way to Spain and Portugal. At that time, that was like the farthest known distance in that world. The farthest known. So Jonah goes, the Lord says, I want you to go here, which is right down the road. And instead, Jonah said, no, I'm actually going to go the farthest distance on the earth to flee. And we'll get into why in a few minutes. So then the word of the Lord came. You guys know the whole story. I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version. I love Spark Notes. It carried me through all of high school and college. If you're a student, don't do that. Be a good boy. Read your books. But spark notes. So the word of the Lord, he came, he got on the ship. You know the story. A massive storm came. And the sailors, they were all afraid for their lives. So they started chucking all the cargo off. And Jonah was actually asleep in the belly of the boat. And the captain 
ran down and said, why are you asleep? Get up and pray that your God might save us. And so then all the, all the sailors, they began to cast lots and say, who's responsible for this storm? And so they cast lots. It fell on Jonah. And they said, Jonah, what, what's going on? And he actually said, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the God who created heaven and earth. And it said they were filled with terror. And they said, so what, what do we do? He said, well, chuck me over, overboard and the sea will become calm. They actually decided not to and they tried to row even harder. But the storm got worse and worse and worse. And so finally they got to the point and they cried out to God and they said, God, don't let the blood of this man be upon our lives. And so they chucked him overboard and immediately it said the sea went calm. Like if you, if you stop and you, you pause and you look at that, like I'm, I'm real visual and the mental movies of some of these stories are hilarious. Like how far did he go when he was thrown in? Like was I walk, looking at Colin being like, thanks bud, like good luck out there. Like, you know, just like the mental image. Um, and then it, it says, he actually in chapter three, or chapter two, it talks about a prayer that he prayed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a little bit and it gives some context. Because in, in my mind, I always have the mental picture is always that they throw him overboard and then a whale or, or a big fish just comes like that and swallows him. But it actually says in Jonah two, verse three through nine, for you had cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All of your breakers and billows, they passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Waters encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bar waves around me forever. But you brought up my life from the pit. O oh my Lord, O oh Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols, they forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So in my mind, like if you read that, yeah, there's something. Is it me? It's just you. A little bit close. It's driving me nuts. All right. Let's go. Is that better? All right, I can just do this, all the rest of the message if you want. Um, it says, you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. Basically, he was at the point of death. It said, seaweed entangled me, and I went to the base of the mountain. Like, he probably went, I think he went almost all the way down. And it was at that last moment when he thought his life was over that he cried out to the Lord and said, I'm going I'm to remember your faithfulness. And then the, the Lord, in his mercy, sent a giant whale or fish and swallowed him up. Using the story, he spent three days in the belly of the whale. That's going to be a story I ask him when I get to heaven. Um, spent three days, and then it said, um, the whale spit him up on dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said the same thing it said the first time. Get up and go to Nineveh, for its wickedness has come up 
And so go and preach the gospel. So then he goes, he preaches. It said the city was actually a three-day journey of walking. It's a huge city back then. Three days of walking from sunrise to sunset is how long it would take you to get across the city. That's a huge city. They said it was like about 75 square miles. It's a big city back then. So Jonah walked the streets, and he just said, repent, the Lord's anger is coming against you. And it said all the people were cut. They fell on their knees, and they cried out that the Lord would have mercy. And then it said that the king, when he heard what was happening, he fell down, ripped off his clothes, put on sackcloth, set in ashes, and actually declared a citywide fast and said, cursed be any man if they have water or food, and maybe we can cry out and the Lord will repent. And then you guys know what happens? The Lord sees the repentance of the city, and the Lord relents. It's crazy. One man preached repent, and an entire city, it says over 120,000 people, in one moment repented and gave their life and surrendered. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's what the Lord, word of the Lord can do. Then we get to the good stuff. Chapter four. I'm gonna read this just because it's so amazing. But this, it, being an entire city repenting, 120,000 people repenting, including a king, this greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in, e in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and you're abundant in loving kindness, and that you're one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Not really what you're expecting. <laughs> no, I, I hadn't read Jonah in years, and like you have like the, the felt board version of Jonah in your mind, and you go back and read it, and you're like, I don't remember reading that. <laughs> like it, He says, the reason I fled to the farthest distance away from where I could possibly go was because I was afraid that you're actually slow to anger, you're rich in love, you're quick to show mercy, and I'm actually afraid that a city that I hate might actually respond to the word and repent. That's why he ran. He was willing to pay, a, it was a lot of money, a lot of money to travel from where he was to the furthest corner of the earth. He was willing to do that because he was afraid that a city might actually repent. Isn't that crazy? That's why he ran. It gets better. This is, Jonah's just, it's, I get Jonah, I, I, I vibe with him. The Lord goes, do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city. Basically, he climbed a hill, and he sat there to watch if the Lord is going to nuke the city or not. That's what he says. He climbed a hill east of the city and sat down to watch what would happen to the city. He pulled up a lawn chair, and he was like, all right. Let's let the hail, fire, and brimstone come on down. 
Like he was waiting to see if the Lord would actually destroy the city. But in that moment, verse 6, so the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Thanks, God. This is great. But then God appointed a worm, and it ate it and died. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah, and he became faint and begged God with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better than this. I feel you, Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, yes, I do. Angry enough to die. <laughs> Man, that's, I think there's a lot of teenagers that vibe with Jonah. <laughs> Clean your room. No, I'd rather die. So the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plan? And he said, yeah, I actually have, I'm angry enough to die. And he said, you had compassion and you were thankful and you appreciated the plant that I provided for you. I caused, you didn't cause it to grow. You had nothing to do with that plant. And it came up overnight and it perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals. Isn't that crazy? The Lord is like, do you see what just happened? I provided for you. You had nothing to do with it, and you were thankful, and it withered, and you had compassion on a little plant. How much more me, the God of the universe, do I not have a right to have mercy and compassion on, on who I choose to have mercy and compassion? It's amazing. And then the story ends. Like, that's it. <laughs> You're like, what? Plant comes up, dies. Lord's like, do you have a right to be mad about the plant? And he goes, yep. And he goes, well, I had compassion. The end. Such a weird book. But I want to I really focus. This is where I want to really focus on today. Think about what Jonah just went through. Jonah had a crazy, I don't know how long the time frame, just say a month to be generous. The word of the Lord came to him as a prophet and said, I want you to preach against the city. He said no. He fled. He put the lives of an entire crew in jeopardy, almost to the point of death. The Lord, in his mercy, saved the crew. And it actually says that when they saw how the sea was calmed, they bowed down and made vows unto the Lord. When they watched what the Lord did because of saving Jonah, when they watched the mercy he had on Jonah, other people dedicated their life to Jehovah. It's amazing. And then Jonah was going into the depth of the ocean, and the Lord, in his mercy, rescued him at the last minute, spit him out, and said, all right, let's run this back. Jonah then went and preached the gospel, preached the word of the Lord, and an entire city overnight, over 120,000 people 
repented, including a king. That's a good day if you're preaching. Like, that's a real good day. An entire, that's what people dream of. An entire city. So, do you see the tension of how, how can Jonah go from that to watching an entire city be transformed and his response be anger unto the point of death? Isn't that crazy? He, everything that he just experienced, you would think he would fall down on his knees and just pour out his gratitude. But what I felt like the Lord showed me and what, what he's been speaking to me is like, you can do the stuff and miss the heart. And Jonah didn't let what the Lord did for him transform him. He didn't let the, the mercy, the kindness, the grace of the Lord that actually saved him from the point of death, saved him from the point of death. He was, it says he was thankful. He cried out and he was thankful. But then his actions actually show that it didn't transform the way he thought. And I, I know Roy, Roy's been talking about this a lot, but he, it just reminded me that you can be in a move of God and you can be used by God in powerful, powerful ways. You can see the, hit, the sick healed. You can prophesy. You can speak his word. You can preach. And you can miss the most important thing, which is the heart of God. And so it says in Matthew 7, that many people will stand before him one day and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we raise the, didn't we do the stuff? Weren't we obedient until what you asked us to do? We did the stuff. He's like, away from me, you workers of iniquity. That's pretty harsh. I never knew you. And that so challenged me. And I can so relate to that. Like, there's so many, there are areas in my life that I can, I can relate to that I was doing the stuff, but I missed his heart. Like, I, I, I've stood on, on the stage, and, I, and I've said things that I, I knew to be true, but I wasn't living out in my own life. Like, I, I said things. I could pray for people, and I, I could believe stuff for other people, but when it became me and the Lord alone, I couldn't receive it for myself. And the Lord, in his mercy, it says the word of the Lord does not return void. It, it will go forth and accomplish that which it was sent out to do. So the, the Lord's so kind. He's like, well, you spoke my word, and my word's a double-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit. So that's how you can, you can have people that are, are preaching, teaching, reading, praying. And you can, you, stuff happens because it's a kingdom. And the Lord set up kingdom principles. But you can do all that stuff and you can miss it. And I lived that life. Like, I, I know how that is. There are areas in my life that I, I did not believe. And I, I did not really receive what the Lord did for me. And I, I, I was thankful for it. I was like, oh, Lord, it's amazing. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for what you've done in my life. But I never let it go deep and actually transform me. And really transform me. That like what happened really would transform me. And you could see it in the fruit. Because you, you saw that what, the fruit came out in Jonah's life. It said, it said he was thankful. But when the thing happened, his response really showed it was in his heart. 
And I, I saw that in my life in a couple areas. Like things would happen and my words were right, but the fruit on the tree didn't line up to the gospel. And one of the things I struggled with for so long is I was hyper, hypercritical, super critical. I chalked it up to being excellent. And like, I love, silly example, I love to cook, love to cook. I would cook something, spend a long time in the kitchen, go to eat, and I would just, every night, I'd pick it apart. Like, oh, this wasn't right, this wasn't right. And it, on the outside, it could look like excellence, but it was actually coming from something else. And that's just, that was a silly example, but that extrapolates out to every area of life. And what, what would happen is, I would say the right, like I, a situation would happen. Some, someone would be walking through something and my words would be right, but in my heart, I had judgment. And in my heart, I had critical. And I, what I was saying with my mind was like, oh yeah, the, the, oh man, the Lord's so compassionate. Like we gotta, we gotta believe for the best. But my heart was angry and, and the first to cast judgment. And I would never say it with my words, but that's what was happening in my heart. And there's a couple other areas that were happening, and the Lord brought me into this season where every area of my life, he kind of put on the, the, surgeon, uh, the surgery table, brought on the, the scapel of his word. He said, we're gonna start here, and we're just going to work our way down. And it, it felt like for the last two years, it's been almost every single area, the Lord's, the word of the Lord has been challenging me and convicting me. And it's just been, I've been in that road, that fork in the road I talked about earlier, where he would speak. And I actually, it actually drive me to condemnation. And I, I wouldn't let it, I didn't let it inspire hope. I let it just kind of put me in a, a downward uh, spiral because I, I knew what was possible because I saw it in the life of other people. I knew it was possible, but I never received fully for myself what the Lord wanted to do and what he had done on the cross. I remember calling Roy um, a couple months ago and I was like, dude, and I, I just poured out my life and his question surprised me. He goes, have you ever actually stopped, looked in the mirror, and liked what you see? Like, that's not really the question I wanted you to ask. <laughs> like, let's go the other way. But that question challenged me, and it, it made me stop. I said, to be honest, no. Like, there, there's areas of my life I love. Like, I know, like, I'm, I'm following the Lord. I genuinely love him. I'm pursuing him. I want his voice to guide me. I want his voice to lead me. But there are areas that cause self-hatred and me to be critical. And that's the fruit that reproduced in my life and that I projected onto other people, whether I would say it or not. And he said, well, why not? And then his next question even was the next layer. He said, well, have you ever gotten to the point that you actually truly believe the word of the Lord over your life, that you're fully accepted, fully loved? and covered by the blood of Jesus. I said, to be honest, I know it here, but I, I don't know how to get it here. Like, I, I knew it in some areas of my life, but there are some that I, I it felt like just a, a large disconnect. He goes, so, do you know that Annie loves you? I was like, well, yeah, of course. 
she's my wife. Like, he's like, well, how do you know she loves you? It's a hard question. I was like, well, name reasons, name reasons. He's like, yeah, but how do you know she loves you? I was like, well, this, well, this, well, this. Well, how do you know she loves you? And I was getting, like, angry inside. And I was like, he's like, how do you know she loves you? And he goes, David, it's so simple. At some point in your life, you had to make a decision that everything that Annie was saying, doing, was out of love. It was actually a choice that you made. Because she could do everything, all the same stuff, and you could not receive it as love. So at some point, you have to make a decision that everything she was doing, she was saying, I love you. She wrote, she wrote letters, like all the different ways that she said, I love you. At some point, I had to make a decision that it was real. And it, it wasn't this like, I now receive the love of Annie. <laughs> like it, was, it wasn't that, but it, it was this process of receiving the incredible love of a wife. And I, that's, that's the, the journey that I've been on with the Lord. Like, I, I used to do the stuff, and I, I knew where I was supposed to be. And so I would white-knuckle the thing. Like, I love, you give me a task, I'm going to black out, nothing else matters, and I'm going to get it done. And that's how I would treat, like, the gospel. I knew I was here, and I knew I was supposed to be there. So here's my five steps. Like, I'm going to claim the, and I did all this stuff. I claimed the promises. God, I thank you that I'm this. I thank you that, and the whole time, I was almost like white knuckling, trying to force myself to receive. And Roy asked, he goes, what are you wanting? Are you just wanting the Lord to strike you with lightning and say, I love you? You have the word of the Lord, the Bible, an entire love letter. You have the greatest act of service ever done in humanity. That God, perfect God, would give up his own son. Like, what else do you need? You don't need an encounter to roll on the floor to receive the love of God. At some point, he's done enough. He's done enough, and you have to, in your heart, quietly make a decision of faith. And it says that the just shall live by faith. So at some point in your life, you can have everything laid out in front of you. But if you don't allow faith to transform you, you're going to be like Jonah. Or in Matthew 18, we, know, we all know that parable of the servants. And this is the David Pearson quick version. A king went to collect his debts and a servant owed is basically over, it was basically billions of dollars. If you do the math, it was 150,000 years worth of wages. 150,000 years worth of wages. And he cried out, and the king had mercy. And then that servant went and found his servant who owed him three months worth of wages. And he didn't repay him. So he threw him in jail. 150,000 years of debt forgiven in a moment and he didn't receive so he didn't give it away to a guy that owed him three months worth of wages and when it says that when the king heard this he handed him over to the torturer until he repaid his debt that's what happens in life that's what happened in my life when I didn't receive 
a debt that I, I could never repay in a million years of working was forgiven in a moment. When I didn't receive that, I wasn't able to give it away. And I held grievances against people that were just dropping an ocean compared to what the Lord forgave me of. And it says that the king handed him over to the torturer. That's what your heavenly father will do to those who do not forgive. That's what it says. That's Matthew 18, word for word. He'll hand you over to the torturer. That's what will happen if you do not forgive. You'll be handed over to the torture. And that's what happened in my life. There are areas in my life that were under torment. Why? Because I did not receive fully what was given to me at the cross and fully receive what was paid for. So it opened my life up to torment because I knew this stuff. I could say this stuff, but I wasn't living this stuff. So my life was actually a prison and I was handed over to the torture. But the only thing, the thing I had to do, it was so simple. It's always been simple. It's always been simple. You receive what was fully paid for. And then the fruit of your life reflects. And I've watched over the last two years as my life has been transformed. And I, there, there was moments where I felt like the Israelites, where it was... I wasn't in Egypt, I wasn't in slavery, but I, I didn't feel like I was in the promised land yet. And the, the tension was, was un, like just so frustrating. I was like, I'm not there and I can't go back, but I don't feel there. So I'm in this awkward wilderness. And I felt like the Lord just said, David, the same voice that called you out of Egypt is the same voice that will guide you in the desert and is gonna be the same voice that sustains you in the promised land. It's the same voice. It's always been simple. It's never been complicated. The gospel is so simple. I know a lot of people, are, they're like me. You want it to be complicated because then if it's complicated, you can perform and judge yourself on how you're doing. But if it's simple, then all it is is a choice. And that's, we want to perform and we want to judge ourselves of like, how am I doing? But when it's a choice and it's a relationship, it's way more simple. And so I, I, that's what I feel today is it says David cried out in song that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's two things. The word of the Lord shows you the overall direction of where you're supposed to head. Like I, I know, I know how to get to New York generally. It's like 700 miles. You go Charlotte, D.C., keep going north. But I have a GPS. So I know the general direction of how to get to New York, but I rely on that GPS to tell me to turn by turn. So we know that the word of the Lord shows us the path. We know where we're supposed to go. But what it actually is, is then it becomes a lamp into our feet. Then it becomes a daily moment-by-moment -moment decision of are you going to follow the voice that called you out of Egypt? Are you going to follow the same voice that called you out? Are you in the middle of confusion, in the middle when, when you're uncertain, are you going to trust the same voice? And sometimes it might not be a new word. It might just be the good book. It might, that's, that might all it be. And that's more than enough. You might have to, 
You don't have to ask for a new word. Get in the book. It's got more than enough. And trust that that voice. And then whatever he asks you to do, whatever he asks, the lamp unto your feet, it's a step by step by step. There were, over the last couple years, there's been so many tiny, seemingly insignificant moments where the Lord asked me to do something. And when you, if you zoomed in on that decision, it made no sense and seemed irrelevant. But when, you, when I look back at the, at, at the path, I see it was actually the Lord guiding me step by step by step by step. The Lord said, hey, I want you to get off social media. Like, so I, I deleted one and then I stayed on the other ones and then the Lord's like, I said, get off. And like, it was these little tiny things. And I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but it's what he asked me to do. And I said yes to that. And in a completely random area, he's like, hey, I actually want you to give this up. So I gave this up. Then he asked me to give this up. He said, hey, I want you to do this. Okay, and then I want you to do this. And I look back and I'm a whole lot closer to the promised land than I was. And if I, but if I judge myself based on a, a moment by moment decision, you don't feel like you're making it very far. But when you trust that the shepherd, that when you hear the shepherd's voice, and he's gonna guide you and he's gonna lead you into new pastures, it's amazing what happens. Does it make sense? Yeah, so if you guys wanna stand, I wanna pray over you guys. And I, I felt like the Lord the word I just kept hearing was, was the word hope. And you can translate the word hope as the glorious expectation of good. I, I felt like there's so many areas that the Lord wants just to infuse with hope. It says in Romans that he's, it says, the, now may the God of hope. It's actually one of his names. One of the names he goes by is the God of hope. Fill you. So that's what I want to pray over every single person. If it's your marriage, if it's your children. Actually, before we go into that, I want to pray for the season that I feel like many of us might be in that, I, that I've been in. That you could say the right stuff and you, you could regurgitate what you're supposed to but when you get alone with by yourself you don't like what you see if that's anyone in the room would you mind just raising your hand we've all been there at some point every single person in this room has been there like you know it's you know it's true but when you get alone you're like ah, father i don't I'm having a hard time believing and receiving what you really said about me. Is there anybody else? Come on. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Come on, it's so simple. It's a decision you get to make every day. And then you're gonna live in the fruit of your decision. That's exciting. That every decision is actually a seed. So you can sow what you wanna harvest. So every day, you can just say, Father, I don't feel it, but I just thank you that the blood of your son is on my life. And you just begin in your car when you wake up, when you go to bed, just moment after moment, just turning your heart back and saying, Father, I thank you that 
whether I feel it or not, like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that I, I have a part of your heart that nobody else does. And you keep sowing those seeds and you keep sowing those seeds and then you watch as the Lord waters the seed and your life begins to bear fruit of the sun. So Father, I, I just pray for every single person that raised their hand. I thank you for a grace to get alone with you. And I thank you that you promised that you will be who you said you would be. So Father, I ask that you would meet every single person. I thank you for a grace over their life to receive everything that was paid for. And Father, for the rest of us, I thank you that you're the God of hope, that you're the God of the glorious expectation of good, that every single area that doesn't make sense, every area that there's a question mark, that you're gonna infuse your DNA, your hope that marriages can be restored in a moment, that addictions that no one knows about can be broken in a moment. So Father, I thank you for hope that we would be a strange and curious people in this world, that we would walk around infused with hope, infused with joy and thankfulness, and that it would cause people to question and wonder, and that our lives would be a sign and a wonder to this world. So fill us afresh to hope, with hope, God, that we say yes to you. We just say whatever you're asking, no matter how small, no matter how strange, that we just commit to you that we're gonna take the first step, that your word is gonna be a lamp, and it will take the next step. It's an honor to serve you, Jesus. We love you so much. Have your way, Lord, that you would get what you paid for in our lives.